you for joining us today at Renovatus, a church for people under renovation. If you have a prayer need, would like to talk with a pastor, or want to share how this message impacts you, we would love to hear from you. Email us at info at renovatuschurch.com. If you desire to support us in the work we are doing for the kingdom of God in Charlotte, you can give online at renovatuschurch.com. We hope you are truly blessed by today's message. If you've got your um, Bibles, we're going to go to the book of Luke. If you don't, we'll have it on the screen. You know, during the meet and greet, I actually noticed something, Tim, that we need to, we need to do, man. I'd realize that if we set the church up this way, we'll actually have horns of the altar. Um, and could, yeah, and actually, you know, have, have like a repentance service, you know. Uh, <laughs> oh, second thought. Uh, no. <laughs> this is true. Very true. Um, so glad to see everyone this morning. Um, we had our Sunday morning sugar rush for our middle school and high school kids today. So I hope you enjoyed your donuts and your chocolate milk. Um, kudos to those who helped set that up. And that's something you're going to be seeing a lot more of. Um, so, but uh, anyway, let's uh, give Zach and the volunteers who are organizing some of that stuff a hand and let them know we appreciate what they're doing. Um, it's exciting to see progress in that area, and that's just the beginning. I, there's other things that are actually already in the works. We're just holding off on announcing those until we have a fuller picture of what they look like. Uh, let's go to Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. And while Jesus was standing by the lake of Genesaret, and the crowd was pressing on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. And the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. You may be using a translation that says Sea of Galilee. Same thing. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little, to put out a little way from the shore. And then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long, but have caught nothing. Yet, if you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they filled both boats so that it began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching people. And when they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. I'm actually going to scoot up a bit because I feel like I'm a million miles away from y'all. I'll move this back for communion. Um, last year, we began to talk in this church a little bit about what it meant to be a church under renovation. And we often talk about us being a church for people under renovation but last year, we were challenged to think about what it might be to be a church under renovation. 
And at the time, last year, when I talked about that, I had just finished renovating a house for my mom and dad, actually basically flipping a house for my mom and dad so they could move into and it would have more space for dad and he would be able to get into other rooms with his wheelchair and that kind of thing. And if you remember, I shared with you some of my observations from doing a big renovation like that. There were some observations that I took away that I felt like were important for us as a church to remember as we put ourselves as a church in the process of being renovated. And among those observations, and I won't, I'm not going to read all of them to you, but among those observations was this one, that renovation projects always take longer than you planned, and they always take longer than you wanted. And for all those right now that are renovating your home, right, and you say amen. I know there's like three families in here that are actually doing home renovations right now that I know of, probably more that I don't know of. It always takes longer than you planned, and it always takes longer than you wanted. There were days where we would go down, and I would only be able to go down and work like sometimes one day a week, sometimes two days a week, and I had to work with when I could get my volunteers there because I'm an idiot. You don't, you don't want me building anything. Um, it would be bad. You, know, you tell me what to do like very specifically, and I'll do it. Otherwise, you don't want to leave it in my hands. So I would have to wait on volunteers. We would go down, and sometimes literally we would work from sun up to sundown. We would schedule leaving early enough to get there when the sun was coming up and work until we could not work anymore when the sun went down and we didn't have enough light in the house to continue to work. And sometimes on those days when we worked from sun up to sundown, we would get to the end of the day and it would feel like we had accomplished nothing. Um, it would feel like, and even if it had been something, it didn't feel like much. It felt like barely anything. I remember days when I would come home and my entire body would be sore and just wrecked and dirty and dusty. And I would get home at like 2 in the morning and I would shower and I would lay in the bed and I would just go, what in the world was that? Um, I don't think we got anything done. And those days always left me with a sense of despair. They always added deadlines, or excuse me, they always extended deadlines uh, further than the ones I had set for myself for the project. And the worst things were when you showed up a week later and what you had done the week before had to be redone because you hadn't thought about it correctly or there was something you missed or in our case one day where one of the pipes came loose while you weren't there and you forgot to cut the water off to the house when you left. Nothing was more frustrating than going home after days like that and asking myself questions like, why does it feel like this whole work day was wasted? Why do I feel spent, but it feels like it was wasted? Why is this taking so long? Simple things. Like, why did that take, why did it take us six hours to figure that out? Why were there so many setbacks? Why, oh, excuse me, did I even make a difference today? How long is this thing actually going to take? Do I realize what I've signed up for? Instead of feeling accomplished more days than not in this project, I felt foolish and defeated. I felt that a lot of the work was in vain. 
And sometimes the lingering question would just be, what a waste. What a waste. Now, I'm sure many of you can relate, especially those of you who are in construction. I saw you nodding your head when I talked about it taking longer than you expect. It also always costs more than you plan, by the way. Um, I know many of you can relate, especially if you've ever worked in building. But anything that you do, any of your vocations, I'm sure you know what it's like to feel that sting at the end of a work day or a work week and feel like you worked a lot with little results and that there were a lot of frustrations and a lot of setbacks. Perhaps you've experienced that on a larger scale at some point in your life. Maybe you've experienced entire seasons of your life where you felt like that entire season might have been a waste or might have been a lot of effort with a little to show for it. The sting of a career or a relationship that feels like a waste of years to our lives can often be debilitating. But this is where we find the characters in our reading today. Our text today contains all the elements of a call narrative. Last week we talked about call narratives and we, we read from Jeremiah. And then we read Jesus' pronouncement of his call. And then the synagogue's reaction to Jesus' pronouncement of his call to preach the gospel to marginalized and edge people. Uh, this week the lectionary actually pairs Isaiah 6. I didn't read it this morning, but it actually pairs Isaiah 6 with this reading. And Isaiah 6 is Isaiah's call where God visits him in the temple and calls him and he says, I'm unclean. And God, um, of course, still calls Isaiah, sanctifies him, sets him apart to be a prophet. In Jeremiah last week, in Isaiah this week, and in Luke both last week and this week, we see what happens when characters wrestle with those feelings that they don't have what it takes. That they don't have what it takes for what God is signing them up for. And then God's continued insistence that He does indeed, despite their hesitations, have a mission for them. Now in this reading this morning, we encounter Simon Peter, and then we find out later on his partners are with him, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, at the Simon Peter Fishing Company. And they are, on, they, they are uh, encountered in this story on the morning after a long night of fishing, which was their trade. This is what they did. Probably a trade they inherited from their father. We find out in other Gospels that, of course, uh, James and John were working for their father at some point, dealing with their father's business. They had inherited this work. Uh, and so they had had a frustrating night, I'm sure, as fishermen, to have worked all night and had caught nothing. And in the reading, Jesus appears on the scene, and in exchange for using Simon Peter's boat to teach from, uh, which is kind of a cool story. It's like the only time we see that in the Gospels is Jesus getting on a, on a boat and kind of pushing off a bit and teaching the crowd of people on the shore. Um, a little side note, while I was in Israel, one of our tour guides said that that may have been for acoustics' sake, that that may have been a way in which he was able to broadcast to a lar larger audience. Um, but I'm not sure. It is an interesting thing. He gets on the boat and he teaches, and in exchange for that, when he gets done, he tells Simon, Peter, and the boys where they can go catch some fish. Now, this is kind of like when somebody shows up on your job 
and has no clue what you've been doing all day, every day, and then tells you how to do your job. Uh, in fact, when we were renovating mom's house, that was one of the frustrations with some volunteers we had. Because we had some volunteers that would like super commit and show up three hours late and then come in and spend the first two hours of their time with us telling us how we wasted the first three hours doing it wrong. Moreover, Jesus is a rabbi. He's a teacher from a carpentry family and so probably isn't an expert on fishing in the Sea of Galilee. Yet this is what he does. He comes along and he tells them where they can go and they catch some fish. Now the only thing worse than having an outsider tell you how to do your job is for that outsider to be right. <laughs> uh, or in a marriage relationship, if you're the spouse doing the project and then the other spouse comes in, hasn't been doing it, which happens to me nine times out of ten on almost any project I do, Crystal will come in and be like, you know, if you'd just do this, it'd probably be easier. And I'm like, whatever, I've been doing this all morning. I know what I'm doing, right? Yeah. Generally, she's right, but I don't do it until she goes in the house. And I'm like, okay, I'll try it. And... <laughs> you know, come in. Boy, all that work paid off. I finally got it done, right? Um, it can be a frustrating, frustrating thing. Um, the only thing worse than having, or excuse me, but at this moment... Um, for whatever reason, Jesus was better at fishing than actual fishermen. But this moment was more than just Jesus being better at fishing. Whatever this was, whatever happened caused Peter to have a moment of clarity. Peter recognized that something else was happening. This wasn't just Jesus getting lucky. This wasn't just Jesus knowing something that they didn't know from a fishing knowledge standpoint but that something else was happening and in this moment of clarity Peter acknowledges his own wrestling with imposter syndrome get away from me I'm not good enough for you to be here leave me for I'm too sinful now such a story would actually be quite encouraging for Luke's audience as I've said in previous weeks regarding the time in which Luke's gospel emerges, it is written at least a decade after the temple has crumbled and with it the entire Jewish aristocracy, the entire system of Judaism really is on the rocks at this point. Um, the city itself is under heavier Roman oppression than it's ever been and um, Jewish people in general we're trying to figure out what it all meant. And on top of that, you had these Jewish Christians, these Jews who had converted to Christianity along with many of their Gentile neighbors. And during the first few years of the church, there was a belief still that Jesus would return in their lifetime, liberate Jerusalem, and free Israel from Roman oppression. You know, a lot of times we think that ended with the death and resurrection. It didn't. The early church, especially the Jewish members of the early church, still had a hope that Jesus would come back in their lifetime and that he would establish Israel as a nation and reign as their king and kick those nasty Romans out of the nation. Whatever hope that the early Jewish Christians had 
that the Messiah would rescue them from the demise coming from Roman oppression was now gone. They had to recognize the Romans up until this point have won. They've done what we thought they could not do, what we thought God would not allow them to do. The thing we had our hope in, the thing in which our hope emerged from, is now gone. Moreover, all their progress as the people of God, no matter how limited it was by Roman oppression, was gone. Herod's temple was a beautiful temple. It was a symbol to the world that despite their difficulties, Israel as a community and as a nation was making progress. That the people of God were building beautiful buildings for worship and for God. But all that's gone. Whatever hope they had that God might be rescuing them from the Romans was completely annihilated. They watched as their families, excuse me, they watched as many of their families were killed and destroyed as the temple fell. They watched as this building in which their ancestors and many before them had worked and built and worshipped and they had to watch it fall apart. And sadly, it's not the first time the Israelites had to deal with something like this. The people of God and the narrative of Scripture had experienced it time and time again. The narrative of God's people in the Bible is a story of a people who walked through apocalyptic times over and over and over and over again. Sometimes in the Old Testament it's even frustrating to read because it's like, wow, finally God is on their side and they're building something awesome and they're finally doing and walking in what God wants them to do and then all of a sudden it's short-lived and everything they built is gone again. There is nothing more frustrating for the people of God, for the community of faith, to look back on all their work, indeed even their work for God and in the name of God, and ask the questions like, why does it feel like all those years were wasted? Why does it feel like there were so many setbacks? What was that season even about? Did we even make a difference? Nothing feels like a kick in the gut more than seeing everything you've worked for in the name of God fall apart. Nothing hurts worse sometimes than feeling that the setbacks are just too great and that the project may never be finished. Surely, the people of God we're left feeling foolish and confused at times. Feeling as though they had done a lot, but accomplished very little. And yet, this is where Jesus enters the scene. Jesus enters the narrative at the point of their frustration and the realization of their own limits. And after spending some time using their resources for himself to teach, he tells them, that if they want to find an end to their frustration and their frustration that stems from their work, that they should launch out a little deeper and try again. 
In other iterations of this story from the other Gospels, it is implied that he tells them to fish somewhere where they haven't tried yet, to throw their nets into an area they had not yet explored. And it is here where the challenge must be answered by the fishermen. And even with reluctance, like Naaman the leper, who was mentioned in last week's reading as one who was healed even though he was reluctant to obey God, like Naaman the, Naaman the leper, reluctant Simon obeys. He goes out into the deep. They cast out their nets and he catches so many fish that he has to call his partners to help and it weighs all the boats down. And Jesus uses this moment as a call to mission. And he says this, that these men, these fishermen will one day catch men. Now there's something lost in translation here from the Greek uh, into English. Uh, the force of words that are used here, the dynamism that, it, dynamism that is used in the Greek language may be better translated as this, that they would catch men alive. Now that phrase appears in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. It appears a couple of times, and it is generally translated in Hebrew as to save people from peril, to rescue people. Um, the net itself in this story is being transformed the good news of Jesus that the disciples would be called to preach would not be like a net of entrapment the net is being transformed the good news of Jesus was not about entrapment but it was about liberation the sharing of the good news then was not about bait and switch and it wasn't even about gathering the most souls as you could into one place and one location. No. Evangelism was about transfiguring the net. It was about the liberation that comes when men and women realize that we are all fish in God's net. Where we live and move and have our being. And so I wonder this morning, I know... Y'all love this wondering stuff. And so I wonder this morning where you see yourself in today's reading. I wonder this morning where you see our church in today's reading. I wonder what it's like to see God's work in your life and also feel like an imposter at the same time. I wonder what work you feel like has been a waste. I wonder what work you feel foolish about. I wonder what things you are almost ready to give up on. And I wonder what deep and scary places God might be calling you to that you're reluctant to go. And I wonder what treasures you might find if even in your reluctance you obey, cast out into the deep, 
and throw your nets where you didn't throw them before. I know I see the story of Renovatus in this narrative uh, in many ways. But I want to close with this reminder from Paul in Galatians 6. And we actually, the psalm from the lectionary this morning has an interesting uh, ending to it where it talks about um, completing or finishing the work of your hand. And we don't know if that's directed to God or if that is directed to us in that psalm. It kind of hangs out there as a little addendum to the psalm. But I think it goes both ways. I think we can both pray to God that God would finish what He has started in us. And I think we can also pray to God that God would help us to finish with our own hands the work that we have begun. And so I want to end this morning with this reminder from Paul in Galatians 6. This is my translation. Be wary, beware that you don't get tired of doing the right thing. For in the right seasons, you will reap what you have sown. So let's go deep. Let's drop our nets where we have been reluctant to drop them. And let us hear the call of God on every misfit and on every imposter to follow Him. And I think if God is as faithful as I believe He is, that that is when we begin to see what resurrection life looks like in our lives and in our church. Amen? Stand with me. Worship team, come on, and we'll get ready to close. Our servers can come and get ready too. I'm not sure if these guys understood the full implications of what they were doing. But the reading this morning ends by showing us that these guys dropped their nets and followed Jesus. There is this, um, throughout Luke, this theme of radical discipleship. In Luke's narrative, though, unlike Matthew and Mark's narrative of the call of the disciples, Luke's retelling of it makes it seem as if the disciples already knew who Jesus was. They were familiar with him. He asked for their boat, and they're like, sure. And the miracle is not seen as just a guy who's a good fisherman, but rather something that God is doing to the extent that Peter feels like a sinful imposter in Jesus' presence and wishes that he would just go away. I thought a little bit this week about why Luke might have framed it that way. And I think it's because he was writing to a church that was following Jesus for at least a decade, maybe longer, and was faced with their first, like, real social apocalyptic moment they had had persecution but this first kind of big social upheaval and how they were responding to it was something new 
And for those of us who've been in church for a long time, um, it's easy for us to just become so familiar with Jesus and so familiar even with these stories of Jesus that we don't hear the call afresh and anew. Especially for those of us who have been saved. And yes, I just used air quotes. Because I think that probably means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But for those of us who understood our faith as being like this one time you check the box, you clock into the kingdom of God moments. I think this is a story that calls us to confront our own familiarity with the Lord and to hear the call to discipleship afresh and anew. And to wonder even a bit maybe, what are some things in, in me that God is still saving me from? Which, by the way, I didn't read it, but the Corinthians reading is that. Those of you who are being saved, and in the Greek it's in the present active. It is ongoing. Those of you who are being saved. Not that you are saved, but that you are being saved. That in the grasp of God's great net, God is pulling you from peril. And so I wonder this morning what ways we can hear, even though it's the familiar voice of the Lord, that we might hear it afresh and anew in our own lives and explore the things that God is calling us from and that God is calling us to. Lord, I thank you for your word this morning and um, just ask God that you do what only you can do, Spirit. Lord, that you would uh, take this word and... Help us to wrestle with it, God. Maybe even this week as we ask these questions to ourselves or maybe in community, Lord, that your spirit would guide our conversations and that we would hear afresh and anew the familiar voice of our Lord calling us deeper, maybe even into scary places, but ultimately into new life. In Christ's name, amen. Let's read the invitation together. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed. Come, because it's the Lord who invites you, and it is His will that those who want Him should meet Him here. Thank you again for joining us. We invite you to send your requests and stories to info at renovatuschurch.com and give by visiting our website, renovatuschurch.com. As we close every service at Renovatus, would you join me in praying the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.